Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. This is episode 190. And today uh, we have an interview that we did with Maria Konnikova. Unbelievable interview, fantastic stuff. She's the author of The Biggest Bluff, among a number of other things. My name is Steve Fredland. I'm at Rec Poker Steve in our Poker Stars home game. And I'm reminding you, as Tom McAvoy said, no limit hold'em is hours of boredom, followed by moments of sheer terror. <laughs> And I'm Andrew Feist. I'm dealer 412. Uh, and as Vince Lombardi said, perfection is not attainable. But if we chase perfection, we can catch excellence. Uh, and I'm Chris Jones. I'm 5x5 five five on Poker Stars and 5b5 on Twitter. Um, and I'm just, I'm really excited for this interview today. Um, I just, uh, I'm a big fan of Maria's work. And if you have somebody in your life who's really confused by the fact that you play poker and don't quite understand what it's all about, give them this book because they'll understand it after that. Nice. That's a great point, Chris. I love this uh, author. This is an exciting uh, interview to be a part of. I'm Jim Reed. You can find me at uh, Blusterini in the home game. And as the great Jim Brown said, if you get up slow every time, they'll never know when you're hurt. <laughs> and uh, I'm John Somsky. I'm Poker Geek MN on Poker Stars and on Twitter. And I just want to remind you to be very careful when drawing to an inside straight. <laughs> And I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Radman50 on Poker Stars and on Twitter. And I have the distinction of beating Taylor Moss heads up a couple nights ago. Yes. yes. Way to go, Rob. Nice. <laughs> All right, well, thank you. Nicely done. It would, it would have been bad if we got uh, another Taylor Moss win. I know. I just, I just, I just, know. Bad, enough. just, when he just bad enough oh he got second. Yeah. It's already, uh, it's already bad enough. Well, I thank gave you, you guys. I a round of applause when I saw that. <laughs> right. I know. Way to go, Rob. Yeah, stick it to him. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. Uh, thanks to our official sponsor, Running Aces Racetrack Casino and Hotel. Thanks to our other podcast sponsors, Learn Pro Poker and Website. Amp. Uh, before we jump into this, uh, a couple of real quick things. Uh, starting the week of August 17th, two weeks from now, we are expanding to two podcasts. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit more about that in the round robin at the end of this, but uh, we're super excited about that. And also, if you didn't know, anybody can become an affiliate partner with Rec.Poker. Uh, click on the affiliate link at the bottom of any page at Rec.Poker. You become an affiliate, and then you can get paid if you refer people that become members. So that's pretty cool. Um, so with that, we're going to jump into this fantastic discussion that we recorded earlier with Maria Konnikova. She is the author of two New York Times bestsellers, The Confidence Game, uh, which won the 2016 Robert P. Ballas Prize in Critical Thinking, and also Mastermind, How to Think Like Sherlock Holmes. Uh, she just wrote The Biggest Bluff, which just came out. Uh, she's a regular contributing writer for The New Yorker. Uh, she's won a ton of awards. Uh, and then when she was researching The Biggest Bluff, uh, she became an international poker champion, won over $300,000 in tournament earnings, and inadvertently turned into a professional poker player. Uh, her writing has been featured in Best American Science and Nature Writing uh, and has been translated into over 20 languages. Maria also hosts The Grift, from Panoply Media, a show that explores con artists and the lives they ruin, and is currently a visiting fellow at NYU School of Journalism. 
Uh, she's won all kinds of awards, you guys. And normally I don't like to read bios, but I only read like a small part of their, her extended bio. Like she's an amazing person. And I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation that we had with Maria. All right, everybody. Well, let's bring in Maria Konnikova. Uh, she's a New York Times bestselling author, journalist, professional poker player. She is the author of Mastermind, Confidence Game, and most recently, The Biggest Bluff. Uh, welcome, Maria. Thank you guys so much for having me. We are so excited to have you. I know you've been busy with, with all of the interviews and the book, and it sounds like things are going fantastic. So we're really honored that you take the time to be with us. Of course, of course. I'm always happy to join. Awesome. Well, we're, we're scheduling this around uh, some of your day trips uh, from New York to New Jersey because <laughs> you were playing some online bracelet events. So let's start there. Uh, how's it going? Um, I, so I'm back from New Jersey now. Um, I just got back. Um, I was in an Airbnb for, oh, I want to say, um, almost two weeks, not quite. Um, and it was very, it was, it was very surreal. Um, we hadn't, I hadn't really left our, uh, Brooklyn apartment since the end of February. Um, mm. I was actually, uh, scheduled to fly to LAPC, um, and, you know, had my hotel, had my flights, had everything was in New Orleans right before, um, for an award ceremony. I was getting a writing award, um, and was already really paranoid and ended up, it was the week of uh, Mardi Gras in New Orleans. So I basically just stayed in my hotel. I was like, avoid people. And at yeah. the conference, people actually thought that I was the really wacky girl because I wouldn't let anyone shake my hand or come close to me. I was like, I'm really sorry. Because at this point, people still were, I mean, this was a conference. There were lots of people there. And so I, I remember um, sitting in my hotel room and the first cases um, were coming up in LA and I was supposed to fly out the next morning um, to play LAPC. And I talked to my sister who's a doctor and she was like, just get back to New York, which mm. I ended up doing. So I canceled that trip um, and went back to New York and hadn't left at all, basically hadn't left my apartment almost at all. Um, and then the World Series started doing its announcements that it was moving online. And I'm like, well, New Jersey is right there. <laughs> and wouldn't it just be lazy of me not to go? <laughs> so, I feel like I'm, I'm obligated to participate. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so, um, and so my husband and I actually rented an Airbnb. He was a very good sport about it. Um, and uh, went out to New Jersey for two weeks. Um, that was all he could give me. And I, and I totally, I respect that. Um, so that I could play. Um, I did not win a bracelet. Um, oh. I did have a few nice runs. Um, and I ended down by just a few thousand dollars, which I think is a win for any World <laughs> Series. You, you beat the rake. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. Um, so, so that was fun. Um, I was actually planning to go to Canada to play um, in the GG events in August. But unfortunately, Canada ain't having us and I don't blame them. Yeah, it, it's so surreal. So when, when you're like at the Airbnb, are you like a, a loud online poker player? Or are you a quiet online poker player? Like I'm, I'm trying to picture your husband. I'm quiet. You know, I'm quiet. Okay. Okay. No, so you're not I, one of these walking around stalking and. No, no. The only time I got a little bit upset, but then I saw Daniel Negrano's video and I realized that I wasn't <laughs> right. upset at all, um, was when I started having the exact same issues. So I actually. Yeah, that would be won, so frustrating. So, so two tournaments. Um, I ended up busting just because of no. basic issues. Yeah, because I it was it would just freeze for you know 
five minutes here, five minutes there, and then eventually I'd, I'd lined out and it was, it was very frustrating. And so I definitely said a few choice words, but then I looked at Daniel's video and I was like, oh, I'm a saint. Oh, I didn't do it. I'm, a, I'm an underreactor. <laughs> I'm an underreactor. No, it was, I mean, it's always frustrating when it's the software, right? right. And you'd think yeah. um, if anyone from WSOP.com is listening to this, fix your software. Come on, guys. It's not that hard. There's good software out there. You know, hire some consultants, get people on it. It should not be happening. Um, but I'm glad to see the spirit of the Rios alive and well online. <laughs> don't fix anything you don't have to fix. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing quite like connection or software tilt. It's just, there's, yeah. it's, it's a different kind of tilt. Because it's like, especially for live players, you're just not, you're not used to. That's like, exactly right. There, most tilt sort of is either, you're, you're either mad at another player for making mm. a decision that you don't agree with, or you're mad at yourself for making bad play. But this is something that's just sort of like out of your control. And Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And the, the thing is, you know, you guys have read my book, you know, that I've worked with a mental game coach. I'm very good at tilt in, in live events these days, but I'm not an online player. You know, I started off playing online. That was, that was initially how, how I learned um, because it's the best way to learn. But then I transitioned to live and never looked back. And so, and so it's just such a difference where it's just completely outside of your control. You can't do anything. And at first I, and you don't know, is it me? Is it my connection? Is it, you know, what's going on? And then I started, so I started texting other people who were playing, be like, Hey, are you having issues? And they were. So, so it was not, it was not just me, but it's so frustrating to see the screen up there and it says sitting out under my name. I'm like, I'm not sitting out. I'm trying to play. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm here. I'm here. Let me see me here. Me. Exactly, exactly. Oh, I, I should have I should have put on the Who. I didn't I didn't put on my Thomas soundtrack, but that would have been really nice. <laughs> Uh, so Maria, speaking of your book, I wanted to I wanted to sh shift gears and sort of talk about yeah. the book. Um, it's it's a book I just I I love it. I admire it so much. Um, I feel like it's the book I'm recommending to all the people in my life who are poker players who want to understand life better, and all the people who don't understand why I care about poker. Uh, it's so great for them too, because like I feel like it's the it's it's how it's how I want to share poker with them, and I, you do it so well. You explain the game so well. You exp it's it's I just I just I love it a lot. So. Thank, Thank you for Marie, now. You, now yeah. you know who it is. We're, we're talking before <laughs> this thing started. Who's your biggest fan? Now, now you know it's, it's been tipped. But I'm well, wondering if you can. Oh, go you. ahead. Go ahead. No, I was yeah. just. I, I, it's awfully kind of you. So, so yeah. thank you. Yeah. Well, I just wonder if you could start by talking about um, the, the process that you talk about in the book, but maybe that people who haven't read the book aren't, aren't familiar with. But what brought you to poker in the first place? You talk about, um, you know, a, a difficult period in your life and then also the work of John von Neumann. And I'm wondering if you can talk about how those two things came together and led you to both pursue being a professional poker player, but also write this book. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, as you mentioned, um, I had a really rough few months. Well, it was it was more like a rough year, but it started with with a rough few months where um, I got very sick and no one could figure out what was wrong with me. I just had all sorts of strange hormone levels and my body became allergic to everything. I would just break out in hives whenever anything touched it. Um, 
it was it was really terrible. Um, I went to all of these experts. I was on, you know, these horse doses of steroids. So I was falling asleep all the time, and nothing was helping. Um, and it still, by the way, was it was never diagnosed. It just kind of went away eventually. So idiopathic is what you call things <laughs> that you don't understand, um, and and that's what it was. And while I was just trying to figure this out and deal with it, um, and spending weeks indoors because I couldn't go outside. Um, my grandmother died and she died in a really just a freak accident. Um, she was healthy. She was living by herself, completely independent. Um, she was baking bread the, the day before she died. The starter was on the table and everything. And she just slipped in the night and hit her head. Um, and it was a very, I mean, it was so sudden, um, and no one had a chance to say goodbye and just, Unlike when someone is ill and you have a chance to really prepare for it, this really, it was one of these things where, you know, death never has to happen, but this is one of those things where like that really didn't have to happen. You know, you don't slip, you place your foot well and, and you're all set and you, you live another day. Um, my mom lost her job. My husband lost his job. Just all of these things, yeah. one after the other, after the other. And it made me really appreciate how much we rely on luck that you can work really hard you can develop all these skills you can do everything quote-unquote right um, but luck has to be on your side it has to be with you and when it's not shit hits the fan and that's when we really realize how powerful it is and how big of a role it plays in our lives and I decided that I wanted to write about this that this is what I was going to do for my next book. And so I needed a story. I needed a book, um, not just an idea. And I started reading a lot. I had lots of free time, <laughs> lots of time when I, when I couldn't go outside or do anything. Um, and someone suggested that I look into game theory because they said it's a great framework for looking at chance and for kind of understanding uncertainty. Um, and so I, th I thought, well, why not go to the source? So I picked up the theory of games and economic behavior, which is the foundational text of game theory, and learned that one of its authors, John von Neumann, was a poker player. And that poker was actually the basis of game theory. And the way that von Neumann described poker really caught my attention because I, just to make it very clear to people who haven't heard my story, I am not a poker player. I was never someone who played growing up. I didn't even have a deck of cards. I didn't know how many cards were in a deck. You know, this was a totally foreign world. And I wasn't playing other games. So I know so many poker players who, you know, came up playing chess or Magic the Gathering and, you know, made, made their way over to poker. That wasn't me. We were not a games playing household. <laughs> we, we read books, you know, that, that's, that's what we did. And so to me, this was completely foreign. Um, I just, I thought, wow, this is an interesting thing that von Neumann is writing about. He described it as a way of basically solving life. He said, this is a game. And he, and he actually phrased it in a way. He said that he didn't like games. And I was like, oh, that speaks to me. <laughs> I don't like games either. <laughs> um, and he said, you know, chess is fine if you want to do mathematical stuff, but it has nothing to do with real life because mm. it's a game of complete information. There's always a right move. Give me enough computing power and I'll tell you what you're supposed to do. Von Neumann was also the father of the computer. So he, he did make it possible to, to solve chess. Then he said, and roulette, things like that, that it's also completely boring because it's the opposite 
there's there's nothing there. There's nothing to solve. It's just all chance. And poker is in the middle. Poker is a game of incomplete information. That's what life is, knowns and unknowns. And it's a game of people. And he has this quote that really spoke to me that I quote in the book. Um, and I hope I, I hope I'm getting it right. He said, real life consists of bluffing, of little tactics of deception, of figuring out what does that man think I mean to do? And that's what games are about in my theory. And that really spoke to me. I was like, oh, because it's, it's all about, it's about interaction. It's about people. It's about psychology. It's about thinking, you know, what do you know? What do you think I know? What do I think you think I know that you know? You know, you can go back and forth and back and forth. And this is, this spoke to the psychologist in me. And I thought, oh, maybe I should read up about poker. And I started reading about poker um, and just, something clicked, you know, the pieces came together. and I thought this could be my book. Let me learn this game. Let me pick up this thing that I never had any interest in, get someone really good to teach me. Because one of the things I've learned along the way is that that's the best way to learn something, get someone good on your side. Um, and originally, um, I was not planning to become a professional poker player. I was just going to spend a year learning the game. I had no idea if I was going to be good, if I would enjoy it. I didn't know any of these things. Um, so the idea was to spend a year um, and play the World Series of Poker and call it a day and use that as a journey into chance. <laughs> and, you know, the, the funny thing that, that I, I, I've been a fan of, of your work before you became a poker player, and the funny thing about, I think, your career tra trajectory is it is in some ways it led you toward this path in a pretty natural way. Like you've studied, you have a PhD in psychology, you've written a book about uh, people, uh, confit con men and confidence people. You've written a book about deduction and logic and Sherlock Holmes. And now you've written a book about chance and decision-making and luck. And I think all of those things boil down into something that is what we all admire about the game of poker is that it brings all of these things together. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the questions I had for you, based on all of these sort of things that you've done with your life and your careers or your writing career, um, I'm wondering if you, if you had to pick just one poker superpower which would it be? Would it be the psychology? Like, would you, which would you like to be better than everyone else at the table of, of like having that understanding of psychology and human behavior, having that understanding about logic and decision-making, having that math and computational side, or having just a, an ability to deceive people and understand deception or just dumb luck. I mean, which of these things would you, you like rather have when you're at a poker, which do you think is most important for, for the game of poker? Well, those are two completely different questions. <laughs> so what would I rather have? I'd rather have dumb luck. I want to be the luckiest poker player that ever lived. <laughs> because all the other stuff I can work on, the luck is the one thing I can't control. If I could press a button and say, I want to be always on the right side of variance, and a magic genie said, done, I mean, okay. <laughs> that's yeah. what I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do I think that that's the most important thing in being a good poker player absolutely not <laughs> so so like i said those are those are two different questions um i think all of the other elements are important and you have to figure out what you are where your strengths are because that's the smartest way to play i know even if math is the most important thing to someone like ike haxton for instance mm -hmm. 
that doesn't mean that it's going to be the most important thing to me. And I know that he's going to outmatch me every single time, no matter how hard I work, because that's where his brain lies. He's more talented that way. That's kind of, that's his strength. So for me, psychology is my strength. And I think identifying that and learning that about yourself is a lot of the work of being a good decision maker, period, but also a good poker player. What can you potentially, you know, where is your biggest chance of having an edge? And for me, it's always been in the psychology. So I think what you need to do is try to plug all of your other leaks, obviously. And, you know, I'm someone who's took a, a math class last time in high school. You know, that's, that's really not me. And I have PO Solver and I've learned to use it. And I've worked with Jason Kuhn to figure out how to, you know, how to do my solves and how to solve all and how to set everything up and how to, you know, read the outputs and how to analyze hands. And it's important. And I, that didn't happen in my first year of poker, obviously. But I learned that, you know, if you want to be competitive on the highest levels, you have to learn all the tools of the trade. That's never going to be my strong suit. I just, I need to learn it to understand it, to help me have another tool in my arsenal. And it actually also helps me at the things that I'm not great at, which is, you know, bluffing and being aggressive, because it helps me reconceptualize what that means. Um, I, I'm not comfortable bluffing, but I am comfortable playing well. So if P.O. Solver tells me, you know, and I hope and I understand why I'm choosing certain combinations and certain spots to bluff in, I no longer see it as a bluff. I'm like, oh, I'm actually executing the proper strategy. You know, I'm supposed to be doing this here um, with this hand. So, so that... It, it's really helped me in that sense and, and helped me how to think about that. Um, but my, the thing that I'm always going to be best at is understanding the psychology of the decision-making, understanding what other people are going through emotionally, understanding the biases, understanding how it's affecting people's decision-making um, and how it's um, playing out at the poker table. Yeah, it's yes. funny. You, oh, go ahead, Andrew. No, go ahead. Keep going. Because uh, you mentioned uh, Ike, Hask Ike Haxton, um, and uh, one of the things that I thought was one of the more surprising pieces, and, and we're talking about dumb luck, and one of the most surprising aspects of the book was that <laughs> this person that I think a lot of people, if we, if we know who he is and admire his game, we think of him as like the ultimate mathematician logician like he just he would he his brain sort of thinks like the the chart of hands and he knows which hand to play and yet you describe a player who shows up with has beliefs in sort of a lucky shirt and a lucky charms and and maybe doesn't even believe that they're that effective but doesn't not believe that they're that effective um and I, and 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 I, the, the interesting thing to me in the book is that you turn to eric seidel who thinks that it's silly and counterproductive to have those sort of things but i don't think you ever fully shared your belief about lucky whatever lucky shirts lucky charms lucky whatever lucky card protectors at the table and i'm curious <laughs> what your personal take is on these practices it oh i mean it hurt I, or or it's no i think i made game. it pretty damn clear um, <laughs> <laughs> i am very against that and yeah. i it was such a funny conversation with like and by the way just a full disclosure everyone who is mentioned in any depth in the book had a chance to read their section beforehand um just 
out of courtesy. You know, yeah, these were yeah. people who were incredibly generous, who I really like. Um, I, you know, they're good people. I didn't want to. My book wasn't meant to be an investigative journalism gotcha. Right, you know? right. So, th- so I had a chance to read his sections, and he laughed. He was like, "That's fine." You know, <laughs> none of them because it's all it's all accurate. It's not like I didn't make anything yeah, up. This yeah. was all on the record interviews. But it was it was very funny to to have him just kind of read it and laugh at himself. But that conversation was not at all what I expected because I really thought that Ike would be this just bastion of logic. Um, And he is. But the way that he phrased it is, you know, well, my brain's going to do this anyway, so I might as well be in the driver's seat and and do it. But then he throws out shirts that are unlucky shirts. And he actually, he actually does things, you know, he has these routines. He can't miss a meal at El Dorado when, after he runs well in the 50K Players Championship one summer, he has to have that exact same meal every day he's playing. Um, so, so it does, you know, it definitely filters into people's minds and I'm very against it. I mean, I think that it it's not the it can't hurt mentality is absolutely wrong it can hurt what you're doing is you're giving up agency you're actually giving up control over something you have control over to some random object you're adding chaos you're adding variability and why in the world would you do that there's enough of it already why would you actually give up agency willingly that's what you do whether you know it or not when you imbue objects or rituals or or pastimes or whatever it is with significance um, because they will affect you even if you don't realize it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, and I tried to t- tell this to Ike, I was like, well, what if, you know, your shirt gets uh, ripped? He's like, well, I'd, I'd wear it anyway. I was like, okay, fine. Again, <laughs> let's, let's, let's do an example where you can't wear it anyway. He was like, well, you know, probably throw me off for a second, but then I'd get over it. But that throwing you off for a second might actually be longer than a second. You might feel like your balance is off. Not just poker, but almost everything the mental game is really, really important. And I give examples of Olympic athletes who have lucky charms who didn't perform as well without the charms and blamed the fact that they didn't have them um, on their poor performance. You know, this is not something that you should be delegating. You should just focus on the things about yourself and your mindset. Can you imagine if, you know, I got to a final table and sat down and was like, oh my God, I don't have my lucky card protector. What's going yeah. to happen? <laughs> and yeah. and somebody go get it. Send, send exactly, them. exactly. Yeah, right. Just your you you need to be focused and there from the get go. Mm-hmm. Um, and why why put yourself in that position? Um, and I, I just think that it does hurt much more than it has the possibility of helping. And I also think that you know. Delusions should not be rewarded. Right. <laughs> I'm going to put Sorry. that on a t-shirt. Delu- yeah. Delusions should not, Delusions be, should rewarded. not be rewarded. It's good. Um, and I also get really mad while, while we're here. Um, and if I'm allowed to like continue on a little diatribe, I get really mad when poker players say things like, oh, I knew that card was coming. Uh, or like yeah. I knew. I, I yeah. just, it pisses me off. And a lot of players do it. And a lot of yeah. very high profile players do it. Mm-hmm. And it really makes me mad. Some have made careers out of it, you know, like, yeah. like being the one who's going to pick the card that's coming next. Yes. And, whatever, and, yeah. and, 
the thing is, it's not true. You don't know. Um, and you don't remember the 50 million times where you thought it was coming and it didn't come. <laughs> you just remember the one time. And by the way, the people who made careers out of it on TV, that's also uh, some uh, great TV editing where, mm-hmm. <laughs> where, where it mm-hmm. makes it seem like they're always right, but they're not. Right. Um, if you knew that the card was coming, you'd play differently. You know what? Um, and probably then um, your name might be David Blaine and we're playing with your deck of cards. Um, so the fact that you knew the deck was coming has nothing to do with intuition. And you have a random assistant from the audience. Exactly. It has to do with if you're, if you're stupid enough to play cards with David Blaine, then, then you've got it coming. <laughs> because he, I mean, I would never play cards with a professional magician, um, especially one who manufactures his own take on a, unmarked cards yeah. he's a brilliant magician um but he actually asked me to play poker with him once and i said no and he said smart <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. that's choice awesome. by you <laughs> <laughs> and that reminds me like when chris moneymaker was on and he's like you know he was talking to somebody trying to get like information from them and the old woman who was just in his training session before comes up behind him and says quit talking to that man he's trying to get information from you <laughs> like, you, have to be, you have to know who you're playing against and what they're trying to accomplish I, go ahead, Chris. Oh, go, well, I was I was going to kind of shift gears and, and talk because, you know, our audience is primarily recreational players. So they're not uh, playing some of the uh, nosebleed stakes that you're playing and like EPTs and WSOPs. But you started off playing and, and the book describes your journey with Eric challenging you and, and basically telling you, no, you can't play some of these high profile tournaments. Yeah. You're going to go play the, the daily at Treasure Island or wherever. Yep. <laughs> and um, and I'm wondering if you can talk that about I'm wondering if you could talk about the both your progression to between those sort of stake levels and then what you think sets apart maybe some mistakes or typical plays that some rec players are making that you see yeah. that they're not making at those higher stakes, that the, that the players who progressed are like you as you progressed. What did you learn about that progression that, that maybe yeah. some rec players could learn from? Absolutely. So, I mean, the biggest the most striking difference that you see in these like 35 45 dollar dailies and nightlies um and even when you start moving up to like hundred dollar aria tournaments which are also not you know not as high as i would eventually go but to me eric didn't let me play the i think it was i don't remember it's like 120 dollars or something he wouldn't let me play that tournament he said those players are too good this is this is too good (laughs) so there there are huge jumps between that and then you know the first thousand dollar tournament i played i was crushed just my soul was absolutely taken from my body and and ripped into pieces but you have to do that you know you have to make that leap Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. event and then eventually it it will uh it will work out if you keep working the most striking difference was the attitude of the players. I mean, at the lower stakes, most players aren't taking it seriously. I mean, some people are, but a lot of people are just there to have fun. They're drinking. First of all, you do not see alcohol at a poker tournament above a certain buy-in unless it's the last level of the right, night right. and yeah. people are people are relaxing unless you're in dublin i actually have never seen as much alcohol at a tournament as i I've have seen it. <laughs> in dublin um at like 11 a.m in two, two like the 2500 buy-in wow. tournament people with a guinness so so dublin is an exception but <laughs> otherwise you do not see you do not see that and so their their attitude is different um, and I think if you're not seeing, if you're there to have fun, that's fine. And that's great. But that's not going to, 
then you might get lucky, but you're not going to actually progress. So that aside, which is obviously like the most obvious mistake, you know, you have to actually take the game seriously and focus and not not drink and actually try to play well. Um, but I think a lot of the players who are listening to this podcast, like they don't make that mistake. You know, they're, they're not one of those players. Right. They just are someone who, who wants to do better. Um, and so far haven't, you know, haven't progressed. And so the number one mistake that I see um, is people playing way too many hands. Um, it's just, it's striking how and players and they say well i'm bored like i'm getting you know i want to play like i'm here to play no you're here to do well and to make good decisions <laughs> um and what i really i think what needs to happen and what good players do is they they aren't bored. They take the time when they're not in a hand to actually pay attention and to take notes on other players and to figure out what's going on. They're gathering information because they understand that information is power and that your biggest edge is having an informational advantage over other people and picking up on things that they're not picking up. And I'm not, I'm not saying like, oh, I noticed that tell. Sometimes you notice a tell, but usually it's not that. It's just noticing betting patterns, noticing how many people are playing how many hands, what kinds of cards they get to show down with remembering the patterns of those hands. You know, how did they bet when they had a monster? How did they bet when they were caught bluffing? You know, you're never going to pick up on that information if you're not paying attention to it. And if you're playing every single hand, you also don't have a chance to pay attention to most of that because you're playing every single hand. <laughs> um, and, so, and so I think that that's the number one mistake. Also not understanding the value of position, um, playing too many hands from bad positions. Um, I actually... It was really funny. I remember the first time um, I was at a table with one of the best players in the world, um, David Peters, and I asked um, someone else, I, I won't say who, like, oh, can you, have you played with David? And, and they said, well, um, one thing I know about him is he absolutely hates to play out of position. It's one of his leaks. And I was, and I, I started playing and I was like, wow, like, it's not only is it not a leak, like, this is what makes him so scary. Like, he, I think hating to play out of position is a really powerful <laughs> tool. So, so that's not a leak. That's actually great. But I actually, D. Peets was the first person I saw who like really just because this was pretty early on um he just he nailed he nailed how to play mm -hmm. um in terms of using position exploiting position winning huge pots when you were in position building pots when you're in position and then trying to minimize your losses <laughs> when you're out of position because all, and oftentimes recreational players will watch high roller streams will realize things like oh i should be defending the big blind a lot um but then won't have the skills to actually know what it's like to play out of position mm -hmm. in the big blind and for them it's probably probably actually much more profitable to fold. Um, and I've, so sometimes when I'm playing a little bit out of my league, you know, when I sit down at a table and Adrian Mateos is to my immediate left, um, you know, and Stephen Chidwick is, is, is two to my left. And, you know, I've, I've been at tables like that where I just sit down and say, why, why am I at this table? <laughs> and, and it's a, it's actually great because it's a wonderful opportunity mm -hmm. to, 
as they crush my soul, they're also teaching me <laughs> um, how to do that and how to play well. Adrian is one of, by the way, the toughest players I've ever played against. And I've been at his table too many times. I, I've played a lot with Adrian. And he's he is amazing. He is amazing. And he, he also soul reads. I, I tried to bluff him once and he just stared me down and called me with queen high. And I was like, <laughs> never again. <laughs> I'm never doing that again. <laughs> but, but I think that, um, so in situations like that, I'm folding my big blind. If Adrian's raising from under the gun, like I have no desire to play, you know, even a hand that I would defend against other players. You need to know when you're outmatched. I think that's something that a lot of recreational players don't know how to do. Um, they don't like folding. They don't like folding their big blind. And then if they, if they're playing, they start doing it pretty straightforwardly, you know, a fit or fold strategy when you hit the flop. Um, you can't play that way. You're just, you're losing extra money, not just your big blind, but however much mm -hmm. you played. So I think those are such simple things to, mm -hmm. to fix. You know, play fewer hands, play more often in position and really learn how to play from the big blind. Right. What, one of the things I loved that you said there that you didn't even say explicitly, but like when you're at a table with uh, a much better player, like watch them. Yes. Like, you, you, that's such a, I mean, like it, it doesn't, it is scary to be at a table with Adrian Mateos. Like I hope I'm never at a table with Adrian Mateos, but if I am, there's something that's actually really great about that too. Oh, like, it's, you, yes, yeah. it's wonderful. And it's, it's one of these things where I used to, you know, at the beginning I'd be really, really intimidated um, when I'd sit down. And if you're playing in, you know, the World Series events, if you're playing at the EPTs, um, you're going to get a lot of those players um, at your tables, um, especially in the main event. You know, everyone, all the high roller players will play the main event. And you will learn so much um, if you, if you actually just let yourself learn. Mm -hmm. And so what I would try to do is avoid being in pots with them if at all possible and watch what they did. And also when I am in a pot with them and they win, what did they do? How did they put me, when did I mm -hmm. feel most uncomfortable? How did I get into that spot? What did they do to put me in that spot? Because that is some, such a valuable lesson. That's something I can learn from because I can learn to do that myself. And I can learn to avoid that spot in the future. You know, how did I get myself into this mess where, you know, we have a 40 big blind pot and I'm folding top pair? You know, that's, that's not cool, um, but it's <laughs> happened. Um, and there, there are players who are just such amazing tournament players you know someone who um who is in my book briefly um and who's had <laughs> who's had a, an effect on me in many ways um is patrick antonius and he is one of the best tournament players i've ever seen and i, I mentioned that because you know people like adrian mateos or stevie you know they're in the conversation right now and people will often not think of Patrick because he's not necessarily playing in the high roller scene on a day-to-day -day basis, especially in the United States. But I've learned so much from about tournament strategy from playing with him. And because you learn more when you're in the situation, it's one thing to watch someone on a stream, but it's quite another thing to be at their table because you're processing the information differently. You're actually there. If you're not paying attention, you're going to lose. And taking that as just a gift rather than say, oh, I cannot believe I, had, I have this table draw, reframing it as this is such a gift of a masterclass in how to play tournaments well. Um, I think that that can be very powerful. I mean, I also want to cash. So, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not always great to have that gift every single day. But, but it's nice when, it, when you have it once in a while. So 
sometimes you have to pay for that gift. Unfortunately. <laughs> yes, this is very true. Uh, kind of going back for rec, uh, for rec players. So yeah. a lot of the problems we have is obviously mental game and dealing with that luck is for a rec player. What would be the best advice you could give for somebody to try and handle that? mentally when you when the variance is obviously not going in your way i think that it's so important to remember that it's not personal that variance is it has nothing to do with you um and that you know one of the things that i actually tell people to to repeat over and over to themselves at a table especially when they're feeling like oh my god that guy's out to get me is just channel the godfather it's not personal, it's strictly business. <laughs> and, and it really helps because if you realize, you should also start paying attention to what's happening to other people. Because if you're like, oh my God, this asshole has it in for me. You know, he's, he three bets all of my opens. Watch, does he three bet everyone else? Okay, yeah, he's just an aggressive player and he's good and you're folding. So he's actually doing right. the right thing. <laughs> if you kept folding to my three bets, you can believe I'm going to three bet you much more widely. Um, and there's, I always love the players at the table. So this is, this is advice on what not to do, who look at me and say, okay, next time you three bet me, I'm just shoving. I'm like, okay, great. Wonderful. <laughs> and then they never do. They end up folding and then, and then they will shove. And they, there was one guy who actually did. And he had like seven deuce and I, I called, you know, I don't remember what I had, but I obviously called his shove, but you know, you, don't be that player. Don't, don't take it personally. It's poker. It's a game. I had to learn this the hard way. I mean, people got me and I thought, I was like, oh, I thought we were friends. It's true. There really aren't any friends at the poker table and you just need to play a good game. And people who are aggressive, people who are putting you in bad spots, they're just better players than you. Learn from them. Don't take it as, oh, this is a bully. This is a jerk. Don't personalize it. The moment you personalize it, you get you let emotions get in the way. So I think that's really important. And the other thing I would say is just don't focus on the outcome. Think about, you know, how did I play? Did I play well? Um, don't, and this is a lesson that Eric taught me right at the beginning of my journey. And it's one of the most important things he ever taught me. No bad beats. You are not allowed to tell me a bad beat story. I don't care when your aces got cracked. And I did this to Eric. I started telling him a bad beat story when I had a set and, you know, and I, and then I busted because the flush draw got there and he just, he let me have it. <laughs> that he never wants to hear that again. And he never wants to hear how a hand ended. He doesn't care what the outcome is. He cares about the decision nodes such a powerful way of thinking and you realize then you forget the bad beats you know you actually forget unless it was a hand that was very interesting that had interesting decision spots right. and i actually i had a hand like that you know i had a really bad beat hand in the world series online in new jersey where i didn't make any mistakes but i was actually very curious what i should have done had i been one of the other players in the hand and so it's a hand that i've actually thought a lot about but not because i had not because I was on the bad end of a bad beat and ended up busting this freeze out tournament. It was because I actually like, I'm fascinated by the other two players in the hand. <laughs> and I well, wanted you're, to you're approaching it as a learning opportunity rather right. than a, a woe was me. Exactly. Sort of opportunity. And, that's, and that's the only bad beat that I remember in recent history, but not from the bad beat perspective. You know, I, I did what I was supposed to do. I had a set, I got my money in, you know, I'm good. I'm curious about the two other players who stayed right. in that round. 
I, I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, co- combining some of the things that you just talked about here with some of the things that you talked about earlier. Uh, you know, it's, it's so clear to me that there's people in ver- in, uh, in life and in poker that um, can't seem to grasp this concept that that variance is inherent in the game or in life. And, you know, some people get it, some people don't. Like, uh, you know, I see this in life where people recognize that, you know, this is just part of the deal. Like, like you said, you can make the best decisions, put yourself in the best situation possible, but variance is variance. Uh, yeah. I do work in Rwanda, so I've seen firsthand the fact that I won the lottery, positive variance, by being born in the United States. You know, I mean, sure. so you, there's people that kind of get that. And then the same thing in poker, uh, people that, that sort of get that, that's just part of the game. Yeah, poker's poker, whatever the variance, the pocket aces are going to get cracked, the set's going to get flushed, uh, all of those things. But for the folks that, I know there's a good number of recreational players out there, maybe you won't admit it, but I know who you are, um, <laughs> that, that can't seem to grasp this idea that variance is inherent in the game. Uh, if, if they win a tournament, you know, patting themselves on the back completely. Uh, if they bust a tournament, then somebody else is an idiot or whatever. Um, you know, how, how can people that struggle with this, because I'm actually concerned about these people somewhat, because I think yeah. it translates into their life as well. Uh, and I sure. see it in their marriages and their other relationships, This this the, the same sort of attitude. So how can you help psychologically these recreational players that are in this mindset uh, where they, they don't really truly grasp the the inherent variance in the game how do you help them kind of move toward toward that uh, mentality well i think part of it is becoming a better player and actually understanding that you know a lot of poker is about probabilities that it's a probabilistic game that life is a probabilistic game Mm -hmm. that everything is probability it's not action there's no certainty so so think about you know any decision you make in life there's never a hundred percent certainty for for anything it just doesn't exist i mean you know you could you could die in the next second right like that right. i mean I, I realize that's that sounds harsh but it's true I mean, there's nothing is 100% certain. That's just the nature of life. And in poker, one of the key elements to becoming a better player is to learning to figure out what probability actually means. You know, and it's not just, and I know a lot of players who are like, oh, I don't, I don't want to do the math. Well, it's not hard math. Like I said, I don't do math either. I count on my fingers. I still do. <laughs> like if you see me at a poker table, I'll be like. I'll if you, be if like, you get to nine, we should fold, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fold. right that's good. We're good. I fold. <laughs> no, I really do. Um, and, you know, I try to break myself of that habit. And then I actually read a lot of psychological studies that show that it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just I'm a visual person and it actually, it, it helps me internalize numbers in a different way. And so I just stopped trying to break myself of that habit. And I, I do use my fingers to count. Um, and it's not, it's not something that I've ever been able to fix. So I'm glad now that I've at least made peace with it. But that's, I mean, that's the level of my math. My mental math has gotten much, much better as I've started playing poker seriously, because you're just, you're doing that all the time. And as a writer, I've never, you know, I didn't do any mental math. Um, But you need to actually realize that actually pot odds are important and outs are important. Whether I have the right price to, to stay in, all of that stuff is important because over the long term, it adds up. Mm -hmm. 1% is important. You know, it it was really funny when I had the realization that I think a lot of players have early on. I'd read somewhere that, you know, suited cards only give you a 2% advantage. And I was like, oh, it doesn't matter then (laughs) whether it's suited or not. Of 
course it matters. It's huge. Like after learning to play, I was like, oh, 2% is huge. <laughs> and it's actually, um, and you shouldn't play, you know, jack 10 suited is not the same thing as jack 10 offsuit. I made that mistake. And Eric's like, what are you doing? I was like, well, you played jack 10 in this. He's like, yeah, no, <laughs> different jack 10. <laughs> but, but I think that you actually have to take the time to understand things like that. A lot of the people who are like, oh, who don't understand variants at all haven't taken the time to actually stop and go through the process and figure out, okay, did I get my money in as a favorite? What was my, how often am I supposed to win here? Pocket aces are supposed to get cracked you know, over 20% of the time, depending on, depending on the exact situation. And that's a lot. And I always, I like to tell people, so I have this example in the book um, where I talk about Nate Silver um, doing a, a poll on you know, Trump and Hillary and people getting really mad at him for getting it quote unquote wrong because he gave Trump a 71, uh, he gave Hillary a 71% chance of winning, which gives Trump 29%. And what are the odds of flopping a pair and hold them? Almost exactly 29%. How often have you flopped a pair and hold them? It happens. <laughs> it happens quite frequently. <laughs> so, so you actually start realizing, oh, you know, but, but 71% is great, so I should keep doing this. But that means that 29% of the time, something else is going to happen and I'm going to lose. And if you see it in those terms as opposed to, I can't believe my aces got cracked, I can't believe this happened, I can't believe that happened, if you just... Tr- Try to shift your thinking in that direction. I think that's a huge step forward. It's hard and you can't do it. Just It doesn't happen unthinkingly. That's the, I think that's the bottom line. You have to make an effort and you have to start understanding that you're never supposed to win. That's the other part of it. People often take these things very personally and they're like, well, I deserve to. You know, I, yeah. you know, it's, I, I'm overdue. Like I, this is unfair. This guy keeps winning. I can't believe, you know, this guy's sun running. I can't believe he hits every flop. This is, this is terrible. Well, no, once again, probability doesn't care about you. And it has amnesia. It has no concept of what happened before and whether this guy, you know, sucked out on you last time already. So he can't possibly suck out on you again. That's not how it works. It's just, it's just math. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. Because like so many, I hear so many, well, I've lost the last three flips. So I'm definitely due this time, you know. Exactly. No, you're you're 50% this time, but just like (laughs) you were last time. So It's still a flip. The math doesn't have a memory on that one. Uh, I'd love it if I were due. This is, Chris, this is why I I answered your earlier question and said, I want the luck. (laughs) Give me the luck. Yeah, Yeah. if I had that superpower, then I would be due, right? Yeah, exactly. uh, Right. Uh, well, I have one. I have one last question that I want to close this off with. I want to respect your time, but I want to make sure that the, uh, Andrew, or Steve, do you have any other questions before I kind of wrap us up? No, man. It, it's so good. Like I, I need to start getting a mic that I can just have here and just drop over and over again because this is fantastic. No, go yeah, ahead. Awesome. This, is, this has been really great. But Maria, one one of the things that I, um, I've, I've, you know, I've, this book has received a lot of praise. It's it's been in a lot of book reviews, and I think a lot of the book reviewers have been talking about how this is a book for the general public, uh, how uh, the non poker player can understand both poker and the game of life uh, in a certain from the lens of poker but i kind of want to ask you the opposite question which i don't think has been covered as much which is um so for poker players yeah what people who maybe are in depth in the game love the game play the game all the time 
what aspects uh, in sort of their own personal lives or their or approach to lives um, are they missing? What pieces, what lessons from the poker players who understand all the aspects of variance and psychology and whatever, but maybe don't bring that into their own lives? What, what aspects are they missing that they should be like thinking about as they either go out, rush out and buy your book or uh, just think about all these aspects? Well, I think that a lot of poker players being good at poker doesn't does not equate with being good at life. I think you need to take a higher level view in order for that to be the case. I mean, people like Eric are an exception. People who have an incredibly successful personal life, who've been married for over 30 years, who have kids who love them, who know everything about theater and restaurants and music and all this stuff. I mean, that's rare. It's rare to have that sort of balance. And so I think that seeing poker as, yes, a game, but also as something that is teaching you to be a better person if you were to only listen. Um, I think that that's a really powerful way of looking at it. And in order to do that, by the way, in order to have that sort of distance, in order to realize that, wow, um, probabilistic thinking is really important in daily life and it's going to make me you know, make better risk assessments and probably not put my money on that you know, craps table right now because that's, that's not great. Um, and that's not a great risk reward uh, proposition. Um, and maybe I'm playing again a little bit above my bankroll and maybe this and maybe that, you know, there are lots of, there are lots of perils and maybe I'm very quick to fold my pocket aces when things go south at the poker table, but I commit the sunk cost fallacy in my investments outside of the poker table because mm-hmm. I've never actually, you know, made that, made that connection. So in order to be able to do that, in order to be able to get that kind of mental space, you need time. So I think the number one mistake that serious poker players make that I've seen is they play too much. They are way too much in the world. They don't stop the grind. They travel to every single stop. They play every single event. You know, they're there to play. And a lot of them are incredibly successful, but I think probably less able to apply those lessons outside of poker because you need space. Creativity needs space. Reflection needs space. One of the most important things that I learned from Eric was to take breaks, that it's always okay not to play, and that every single day you should check in with yourself and say, am I my best right now? Am I in the right, is my brain, is my head in the right place to play? Is this, is this a good day? And if the answer is no, don't play. And he's done that himself. I mean, he's missed, you know, super high roller bowls. And he's like, you know what? I was planning on it. He, he's bankrolled. It's not like he can't raise the money. And he just decides, I'm going to skip it. Um, and I think that that ability is help, part of what help, helps him be so good at life because he has perspective. He's able to take the time and evaluate what poker is giving him because he has that mental space and to improve and to kind of, and to grow. And then he has the time to take things from life, which make him better at poker. It's not, I think too many people have the attitude that if I'm not doing what my profession is, this isn't just true of poker players. I encountered this in academia where, where there are people who think that, you know, anytime that you're not actually spending on your specific thing, reading those articles and doing that. You know, if you play a musical instrument, if, or God forbid, you're writing for a popular press or whatever it is, um, then 
you're ruining your career, you're not being productive. People see downtime as just this horrible thing and as counterproductive. And I actually see it as superpower, as something that can help our brains reflect, process, make sense of things and become better, become stronger. Um, And so I think if you have that sort of attitude, I think that's the number one thing that professional poker players can start doing so that they are able to actually apply the lessons from the poker table to their daily lives. That's so good. That's so That's good, awesome. Maria. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, well, uh, you know, uh, before we let you go, yeah. I, I just want to make sure that everybody, uh, first of all, go out and buy this book, read this book. It's an amazing book. It's really great. But how, how can people find it? How can people connect with you if they want to? Uh, what's yeah. the best way? So the book is available wherever books are sold. Um, And, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and businesses need help. So I would personally suggest that you get it from a local independent bookstore. There's even a storefront called bookshop.org. If you want to do it all online, you go to bookshop.org and they will connect you with your local independent bookstore and ship it to you just like Amazon. Um, But I know that for some people that's not possible. I know some people only have Amazon um, Mm -hmm. or Barnes and Noble and, if that's the case, then by all means, you know, just buy the book wherever, wherever you can. Um, but I do think it's a great opportunity to support the indies. Um, yeah. That's what I would personally do. Okay, great, great. And, and well, how about, uh, are, are you available on social media at all? People want to connect yeah, with you, want to follow this person? And- I'm on Twitter as Mkonnikova, and I'm on Instagram as Girl Named Maria, except Girl does not have an I in it. It's just GRL, not girl. because I'm a... A writer who can't spell, but because someone else nabbed girl named Maria with an I. And one of these days I will get it. <laughs> By the way, is it, are any of people in your audience hackers? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I can give you two or three names right now. Excellent, excellent. Um, so, so let's get the girl named Maria handle on Instagram. We're trying to do the same thing because somebody has rec poker. We don't know who it is. They're not using it on Instagram. So we have, yeah. we're just getting rec.poker. You know, yeah, like same same thing. Like, how who can hack into this? We'll, thing? Get, a, we'll get a two for one going here. Two for one, we'll, we'll get a bogo. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll get a both going. Well, no, thank thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, this was just a, a delight to talk to you. Um, I think our audience is going to be really excited to to listen to this. So, just thank you. Thank so you. Much. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right. Well, there we go. Fantastic stuff. Fantastic interview, Maria Konnikova. Guys, get the book. Uh, great stuff. I'm sure we'll have her on again in the future. Uh, so let's let's uh, wind down here, guys. Let's do our round robin. Uh, Mr. Somsky, as always, we'll call on you first. All right. Well, we've got uh, our Nolan Hold'em game coming up August 5th and our mixed game series, Potlum in Omaha 8, August 12th. There's a video available for that. And uh, Monday night, August 10th, is our July nightly series tournament of champions. So if you win a nightly series tournament anytime during July, then you are eligible to play in that tournament of champions. So be sure the announcements are on Facebook and Discord, or you can go to our nightly series uh, page on the website, and it'll give you instructions for how to sign up for that um that game. Yeah, Steve, just head on over there and uh, you can sign up for that game that you're qualified to enter as a so tournament So disappointing. Winner. A few deep oh, runs. Oh, sorry. Who, 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 who made it? I know Jim made it because obviously <clears> he's <throat> gloating. <clears throat> well, anybody know? Chris, no? Rob, three... Oh. What? Three seconds? 
Did you have three, three seconds? seconds? Wow. Yeah. But, but you won one, came you out won one in, one in August so, like that. Yeah, yeah boom, yeah. take it. That sucks. Somsky, are you in that thing? No, I'm not in it, and I haven't qualified for August yet either. So, Well, we know <laughs> Taylor's really... in it because we've never gonna, been able to hear the end of it for a week. I don't think we're going to have to worry about that. <laughs> Thank God he's not here tonight. <laughs> well, I know. Well, now we just need everyone to make sure that Taylor doesn't win the Tournament of Champions because otherwise I don't think please, we'll please. ever live it down. I'm going to do know, my like, damnedest. Do you know the streak he's on, though? Like maybe yeah, John crazy. will talk Top about this, but like five out of six nice. tournaments, first or second. Like – who does that? Crazy. That's amazing. That's the power amazing. of the wrecking crew. And I forgot to slow roll him, Steve. I, I had, had the a opportunity. Chance? Oh, you had a chance well, I was heads up. It. I could have done it anytime. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> oh, please. There's a dollar for anybody who slow rolls Moss. Like I for, totally forgot. <laughs> I got into the, I was in the zone. <laughs> that's good, though. As long as you beat him, that's fine. We'll take that. All right, John, sorry. All right. So now the uh, nightly series, July 27th, Milo Junk, Miles Hudson got his second nightly series victory. July 28th, Bluff Storini, Jim Reed, his fourth victory. July 29th, Flying Brick, Sarah Hansen, her second. And then July 30th, Grumpy Rob. I do not know who Grumpy Rob is. Are we not sure sure that our Rob has two different screen names? Multiple accounting here. (laughs) Multiple accounting. He's not that grumpy. We do have a bunch of Robs. There are a whole bunch of Robs. There are. Yeah, maybe one of them is like even grumpier Rob. (laughs) (laughs) Grumpy old man. (laughs) Yeah. July 31st, Rick the Good Dog, Rick Rock Oman, got his second nightly series victory. August 1st, Rab Man, Rob yeah, Washam, got his yes, second sir. nightly series victory. And August 2nd, Oreo Milk 4444, Owen Drabeck, got his fourth nightly series These victory. These Drabecks. Oh he my was down God. to nothing, too. He was right in my left. He had oh, nothing he, left for like 20 people. He sucked out on me so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I had them all in. I had seven. He had fives, and he got the he got the wheel. Oh wow! Like, how oh, do you gross. get the you got just the wheel? Just hit a five. Just hit yeah, a five. just hit a five and get it over with. No, he had to get the wheel on the river. It's like Chris oh, will tell you, there's man. no photos on the score. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna say, Rob. I mean, five you're fives. gonna lose that hand every time. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. I, five by five. I should have known as soon as I saw his fives. Yeah. Kryptonite. <laughs> That's not oh, even a suck out. That's just normal. That's just yeah. He, you know, he was probably a ninety like percent favorite progress. there. Yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> 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 All right, John. What do you? Anything else, John? Nope. That's it for me. Oh, good stuff, man. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Rob. All right. This Wednesday, six thirty. We have the uh, book study, the game plan by Matt Matros. This is our. This will be our fourth session. Uh, we're going to go through rules eight through eleven. We're going to be talking about things like set mining and squeezing and going all in and that sort of thing. So, this should be opportunities for many rabbit holes going down on these on these subjects here. Uh, then I think after that we go into the big blind area and we're, then we're done with the pre flop. So took us five it'll take us five total episodes to get just through the pre-flop part of the game plan so it's been a lot of fun yeah, any any like i know we don't want to derail too much but any real quick like any big insights or like any paradigm shifts or anything that's coming out of that you're like man and i know you'd read it before too but anything that you're just like man this is so good you guys got to be a part of this 
Yeah, it's just it just it it helps you automatically up your aggression in your game. Mm. I mean, there's a and the one of the factors they talk about with rec players is there's this uh, aversion to this risk aversion that you have. You don't want to drive a an hour to get to the tournament and then bust out right away. So you you tend to play a little softer and not as aggressive because you don't want to risk all those chips. And that's not a way to win a tournament. And so he's giving you license to go ahead and be aggressive and do this. And he gives you a set of rules to follow to, you know, so you don't have a lot of decisions to make. You just follow these rules. You're automatically more aggressive than you've ever been before. So, so good. that's kind of what I, what I'm getting out of it so far. Great. We look forward to it. <laughs> Probably going to be three betting me all night long. <laughs> Chris, what do you, what do you got, Chris? Uh, well, so we're in August. Uh, our seminar this month is about all about value, getting value thick and thin, uh, finding it in places that maybe you're not typically finding it. Um, and then in September, we'll be talking about the big blind, which is a topic I'm very excited about because I think it's a part of my game that I struggle with maybe the most. So I'll be really interested to talk to the panel about about uh, big blind stuff. And then just a reminder that August 26th uh, is our monthly members strat chat where we'll be going over that uh, tournament of champions final table, talking about some of the strategy uh, and the choices uh, at the play. The last time we did it, we had a lot of fun. It was, it was a really kind of fun conversation. Even though we can't see the whole cards, uh, we can do a lot of analysis uh, and it was a really fun conversation. Awesome. All right, Chris, thank you so much. Jim, what about you, man? Well, actually, I'm really excited about that big blind seminar that Chris is setting up. Uh, there's been some great posts in the forum about playing out of the big blinds and how to select different kinds of light three betting candidates and that kind of thing. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. I'm also just really enjoying the play of ideas in the forums. We have some really deep level strategic thinkers uh, sharing their ideas, breaking down hands, um, like ARW, Binkley, and Jamel in particular. Uh, some of the hand breakdowns that they're doing, getting into combos and different candidates for different parts of people's ranges. I mean, some of this math-based stuff, it's not like some people are pretty good at it and some people are okay at it. Like, it's math you're really good at it and then it just make it easy for everybody else to follow along. So as far as I'm concerned, we've got people in our forums. I'd put up against any training site forum on the internet. We've got people breaking down poker hands in a way that you just can't do it any better than that. So that I'm really excited about. And I can't wait about some of this new podcast news where we get to highlight some of that amazing stuff. <laughs> well, speaking of that, that's what I really wanted to touch on is just the, uh, the new podcast format. So a couple of weeks, uh, we're going to have two podcasts every week. Uh, it's, it's super exciting, you know, the expansion that we're seeing and the people that are interested in things. And, and a lot of this is driven by uh, you guys that are listening. I mean, you've, you've, you've sort of said, man, I'm really resonating with the stories. I want to hear more about the stories. You know, I want to hear more, go into more depth there. And some people are like, man, I want more strategy. And, you know, it's hard to always be everything to every person. And so uh, we, we made the decision, we're going to split this into two pieces. So uh, we're going to have one, one podcast every week. That's sort of the chats. Uh, and these are our opportunities to talk to poker players like we normally do, uh, but not feel like we have to cut off a great conversation and quickly do strategy. Uh, it might be strategy, but it might, might also just be 
their life and how they think about the world. And uh, it, now we're no longer limited to just having poker players. We could have media or other sort of personalities around the poker world that we invite in uh, and have a conversation with. And I think that'll be a super fun uh, part of this deal. Uh, and then the second podcast in the week is going to be more focused, like we said, on the forums. Uh, so we're going to dig into those forums that we have out at rec.poker uh, and pull out either great hands, great discussions about hands and continue the conversation uh, as part of a podcast panel or it might be, you know, Daniel Negrano blowing up. And what do we think about that? And, you know, it, it could be anything, but it's really about the forums. And so it, to a large degree, those podcasts are going to be driven by what the members are talking about, what they're interested in, certain hands. And so if there's a particular hand that we're, everybody seems super engaged in, that'll probably be the one that gets chosen to talk about in the podcast. Uh, if you guys are super interested in other things, just you're kind of voting by uh, your comments, right? Uh, that's sort of how that's going to work. And so we're going to have the chats, we're going to have the forums, uh, and we'll adjust as needed, but that's really going to be what it's like. Uh, we're still going to be giving the shout outs to people that bink tournaments uh, and those sorts of things. So that's going to still be a part of the uh uh, the incentive to win the home game, but uh, hopefully, and then when we start opening up live tournaments, we'll have some more binks that we can start reporting there as well and figure out a good way to get those on the website and celebrate the success because, uh, you know, Jim was talking about it, you know, kind of the power of the wrecking crew. We've had a number of folks that have gotten coaching now from the wrecking crew uh, and people are binking tournaments all over the place. The success is great. And so uh, we want to keep those celebrations going. So that, that's the general structure of the two podcasts. I don't know if anybody else has anything to add uh, on that but feel free to reach out to me steve at rec.poker if you have any questions concerns or whatever uh we want to make sure that we're giving you what you need and we know that some people are going to resonate with one over the other but i think there's going to be good quality content in both uh and i think we're going to be a little more uh, free to really dig into the things that we're talking about uh, during those episodes so pretty excited about that deal um that's really the only news that well there's a million pieces of news but uh the only one that uh, i'm going to share uh tonight anything else that you guys on your on your brain or that you think uh, the nation needs to know i just uh remembered one thing uh that has changed poker stars now allows me to set the amount of time that you can uh enter a tournament the delayed re-enter late entry period it used to always be 10 minutes and then they hard-coded it to an hour and now i have a little bit of flexibility in being able to set it so what i've set it for right now is for four levels uh which for our normal games will be uh 40 minutes when i use the turbo format which are five minute levels then i think i'll increase that to be six levels so it'll either be a half an hour or 40 minutes that you'll have to do for late entry Okay, yeah, people were noticing that. I think that's that's a good change. Uh, I was noticing. That. I thought I thought okay, ten minutes it closes, and then there's more people jumping in. So uh, I think it gives people a little flexibility that are working later or whatever. So I appreciate that uh, for and sure. I, and it's it's still uh, no reentry, right? No rebuy. It's still a freeze out, right? Correct. Correct. Yep. That's just yeah. the late registration period. Yep. And I, I think already that has made a difference that people don't feel like they have to pre-register um, and then maybe they don't end up showing up and they're blind. Their stack just gets blinded out over the course of the tournament. So that that is really frustrating for all the other players if you end up sitting out. Um, so it's nice to have a little extra time to show up and register and not have to uh, risk that happening. So that's great. Thanks, John. Yeah, good point. 
All right, guys. Well, let's wrap it up there. Great conversation again with Maria Konnikova. Fantastic stuff. Uh, check out Rec.Poker. Sign up for the newsletter. Thanks to Running Aces, Casino Racetrack and Hotel, Website Amp, Learn Pro Poker. Uh, thanks again to Maria. Thanks to the panel, Chris, Rob, Jim, Andrew, John. Uh, great stuff. Fun doing this with you guys. And we will catch you all next week. 